You're listening to the Untidy Faith Podcast, where we have honest conversations and gentle encouragement for when following Jesus gets messy. I'm your host, Kate Boyd, author, speaker, and gentle guide for Christians who are disentangling their faith from culture and desiring to find joy in following Jesus again. There can be life of faith after deconstruction. Let's find yours together. This season, you get to be a fly on the wall as I and my co-hosts, Robert Callahan and Amanda Waldron, read through 1 Samuel together and give you our honest thoughts, questions, and takeaways. Let's get to it. Hello, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. And today we're still in 1 Samuel. We're in chapters 20 and 21. And the we is not just me. It is Robert and Amanda. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Hello. Hey. <laughs> hey, hey girl. <laughs> All right. It's going to be an interesting day. Maybe not quite as um off the wall <laughs> as the podcast of Mini Foreskins last time, but <laughs> if you haven't if you haven't listened, but go back. Yeah. Go back and get that one. <laughs> it is a must must listen. I guess there's not like must see TV here, must listen episode. <laughs> Just for the weirdness of it. It's just frankly weird. Yeah, you gotta listen to get all the references. It's a deep cut. Yeah. <laughs> oh, he did it again. <laughs> all right. Well, with that in mind, please, Robert, do give us a nice recap of chapter 20 before we jump into talking about it. What happened? All right. Yeah. So this is David and Jonathan. This is where it really zooms in on uh, their relationship and uh, specifically how it is that David ends up leaving the king's service. So uh, chapter starts off with David going up to Jonathan and he's like, hey, um, what's up with your boy? Um, he, he keeps trying to kill me. And Jonathan's like, no, no, my dad. No, never. He would never. I would know. I would know if my dad was trying to kill you. Like you yeah. totally, you're good. And, and David's like, um, no, you, you really must have missed the memo. Okay. Because uh, he's tried to impale me three times now. And he's John's, no, 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 it's cool. It's cool. I promise you're cool. And so David's like, okay, look, let's, let's do this. Let's just test my theory out. Okay. <laughs> Why don't we, um, you know, new moon uh, feast is coming up. So I'll be absent and you come up with an excuse for me. Right. And if he gets mad, then you'll know that maybe there's some legitimacy to what I'm saying. And if he doesn't, then cool, my bad. I'm so sorry. And I'll come back. And Jonathan's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's cool. And then I'll, I like how also like they go out into the field to hatch part of this plan because probably <laughs> like spies were in the palace or something like that. And so, yeah. um, so, so much intrigue. Yeah. And so <laughs> they're so, okay. So they, it goes down just like that. So the, the feast is, is coming. And the first night, David's not there. I guess the king is taking note of it because he needs to know where all his people are. And David's essentially one of his commanders and it's kind of like his commander's AWOL. Um, but the first night he's like, okay, he just, maybe he needed to wash his hands or something like that. And he just didn't he's come there. Okay. Yeah. So, um, and then the second night though, David's not there and the king's like, um, hey, Jonathan, what's up with your boy? And Jonathan's like, oh yeah, he had a family emergency. He said he couldn't be here. I am so sorry. And the king blows up. 
and tries to spear Jonathan. And Jonathan <laughs> was like, huh. <laughs> Like, wow, that feels like a little bit of an overreaction, Dad. <laughs> yeah. But sure, yeah, okay, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and, and not only does he try to kill him, but he's like, ah, "David's got to go." He's like, "The son of Skywalker must die," right? And so, <laughs> um, fortunately, the the guys had already worked this plan out ahead of time, right? Secret signal situation, SSS, that. Um, <laughs> David was going to hide in the field like all day, sweltering heat, mid-east, okay, no problem. And then he was going to to continue hiding there. And then the next day, Jonathan would go with his his armor bearer uh, kid and he would shoot some arrows. And the signal was basically if if Jonathan said to the kid, "The, the arrows are beyond you, then that's the signal that David needs to hear that he needs to hightail it out of out of the kingdom. But if he's like, go ahead and bring the arrows back to me, kid, then that's the signal that everything's good. So pew, pew, shoots the arrows into the field and the kid goes to get them. And then Jonathan goes, hey, the arrows are behind you. Hurry, go. And meanwhile, David's behind this rock. Like, wait, what, that was not the code. Wait, wait, what, 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 that was not what we, like, I'm confused. What does hurry, go mean? I don't know. Um, there's a little bit of a variation on it, but he figures out um, because the kid goes back to town with the the weaponry that, yeah, he's, he's, he's got to go. And so David and Jonathan weep. I thought it was, it was interesting leading up to this. Jonathan reaffirmed his oath to David and mm-hmm. David then reaffirms his oath to Jonathan and Jonathan's oath. We have David's oath is just sort of yada, yada. It's, it's just David. It just, it just says David's oath to Jonathan. So I don't know if that's the military service oath or is there's just more there that we're not, um, we're not being told, but they kiss and they depart. And then uh, David goes to Nob, which takes us into chapter 21. Yeah. So a whole lot going on, mostly centered on what seems to be the relationship between Jonathan and David. Mm-hmm. And obviously tangentially with Jonathan's dad, Saul, I found it interesting that David sort of sneaks back and he sees Jonathan, but he doesn't go see his wife. So like, there's a sense of you know what I mean like he has a like he goes to see his friend Jonathan who's also in Saul's family but you know skips skips the house and maybe it's because it's dangerous or whatever but that was like wait a minute wasn't didn't David and his wife live elsewhere like I I guess I got the sense from last week that that was didn't he sneak away though from their from her because yes, she had the big <laughs> I- the big idol in her bed, right? Snuck like, back to the palace. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. So anyway, I thought that was interesting, but I think that says something, right, about the depth of the friendship, one way or the mm-hmm. other. Um, yeah. I, what was what stood out to you, Amanda? Well, <laughs> I think First Samuel needs a better editor because oh. in this chapter, Jonathan's like, I think I would know if my dad wanted to kill you, and then in the very the previous chapter, verse one, chapter 19, Saul now urged his servants and his son, da- Jonathan, to assassinate David. Oh. <laughs> so yeah. my the theory catch. is the same theory from last episode of like, 
I think this is a conglomerate of different yeah. stories. It's like they piece together. It mm-hmm. Is Did like I don't need to worry about continuity. No, wow. don't worry about some, it. <laughs> Nobody will notice. Bible. Nobody will read this and do a podcast about it. We're fine. <laughs> they did not see us coming. That is true. That is true. <laughs> so are these just two different versions of like, or two, two different views of what's happening? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I do think you're right. I do think there is a lot of piecing together of stories into it's why we have like two accounts of like meeting David and then even sort of like there's a lot of confusion around some of like Saul's stuff in the beginning like there's just like weirdness about how some of it comes together or repeats Mm -hmm. and so there is an interesting like inconsistency um that we can't admit is there but it's there (laughs) It's there, guys. Read it. It's there. <laughs> well, and this is why like, you read the Bible in big chunks, too, because you catch up stuff like that. Whether it's like if you're just yeah. going kind of like story by story, you don't necessarily notice that it did that. Yeah. And it, it does seem like they go to the field like twice or like they like they visit like the field and then like they kind of like go back and they're like, but well, he's. This happened in the field and they, you know. It, it, yeah, because so. was that part of last week's story too? I don't remember. I don't think so. Okay. I don't know. But I do think you were right, Robert. Some of the stuff I was reading implies that like they had to go out in the open to sort of have privacy. Whereas like wherever they would have been apparently didn't or may, like you said, have spies or people listening um, and even the arrangement was um, in a sense of like how to keep David safe. Like Jonathan was like, if everything's good, I'll send a messenger. But if not, I'll come to you. So there was this like layer of protection in that only mm-hmm. Jonathan would know mm-hmm. where David is if everything was going to go sideways. Um, but it is kind of weird. Like I would have thought that maybe... <laughs> Saul knowing that Jonathan sort of stood up for David would would have tailed yeah. would have tailed Jonathan like don't Missed you know that your son is but I guess he maybe I'm watching too many spy programs but that seems like uh, a missed opportunity for Saul which works out for us and our story and its <laughs> continuance but <laughs> it was an interesting thing yeah, what do you think about Saul trying to kill Jonathan? Like spear Jonathan, maybe not kill, but you know, seriously maim or injure in the words of Dobby the Elf. There's <laughs> there's a good sneak, good sneak there. There's, there's a little bit of a, a contradiction there that I don't quite understand where it seems like on one hand, there are times and instances where it seems like Jonathan understands his father. Or the children of Saul understand their father. But then at the same time, there's this level of ignorance that is also inexplicable because Jonathan doesn't seem to grasp that his father is capable of hating David Uh, or or having already tried to kill David. Like, surely there were other people in the room or David might have, even if there weren't, David might have casually mentioned, hey, your dad tried to spear me the other day. Three times in one night. Yeah. So, 
So there, yeah, right. The, well, yeah, a, especially since it happened multiple times, you would think <laughs> that there would have been some communication about it. Yeah, yeah. So there's this, this weird dichotomy of ignorance and also understanding that is, is strange to me. Mm. I, yeah, I don't think it's. I'm thinking about family dynamics now, right? Like, I don't think it's uncommon when you're presented with information and you don't want that information to be true to look for any alternative for it mm-hmm. not to be true. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and I think there is sort of like maybe he doesn't realize how bad it is, right? Like, oh, I mean, I know he doesn't like him and he's a little crazy, but he wouldn't try to kill him, right? Like that feels extreme. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And which is interesting too, because it's almost like how things sort of happen in times like this, right? Where you just sort of like kill anybody who is a threat to the throne. That's like a fairly normal thing, Mm -hmm. at least in like, you know, the medieval movies that I've watched. So surely in the ancient (laughs) Near East, it was the same because humans just be like that sometimes. And yeah, I I think, uh, I mean, Saul alludes to that too, right? That sense of like, as long as the son of Jesse is alive, you'll never be king. Yeah. This is a threat to our lineage. Well, yeah. And so like Jonathan doesn't feel that threat, but Saul definitely does. Right. Yeah, so Saul sees the writing on the wall, but then Michael, the sister, hasn't said anything to Jonathan either. Mm, that's true. The fact that, yeah, like a couple of days ago, they sent a small cadre of soldiers to our to house. To our house, yeah. <laughs> it seems like a major thing. Well, maybe it happened <laughs> and it's not recorded. There's not yeah. a lot of lady voices in Amanda. <laughs> no, Samuel. it's not in the Bible. It didn't happen that way. But the also, Bible you, is clear. Did you catch that insult that Saul said in chat in verse 30? I don't know what yours says, but mine says you stupid son of a whore. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, Saul, that is your wife. <laughs> that is the mother of right. your child. <laughs> I was trying to yeah. see. This NIV I mean, is, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Oh. Yeah, that's what mine says too. Okay. I was like, well, mine is like, that's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that was Yeah, sure. apparently cool. there's like words... There was something in there about, oh, yeah, the words shame and nakedness sort of like apparently denote genitals, according to uh, the Classic. Jewish Bible. First and, it, and we circled back. <laughs> uh, you knew it would come up. It's the and, circle um, of life. <laughs> <laughs> and what's interesting is, though, it seems to kind of like it brings in, it's like a your mama joke, but it's actually like an <laughs> insult to him, right? It's your mother's nakedness, but that's a shame to the son <laughs> for some reason. It's uh, weird. <laughs> Yeah, I'm about like, your... this doesn't, Never I don't mind. know how this works, but it doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> Insults ahead, are different Amanda. back in Bible times. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's true. You um. yak-faced cow. <laughs> <laughs> so what do we think about Jonathan and David's sort of like final meeting? Um, yeah. You know, the arrows and the field and the weeping. You, you know what before before we go there i just i remembered something in yeah. verse 16 
in the NIV translation, it says, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. Verse 17, and Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him because he loved him as he loved himself. Mm. I only know of one other time that that phraseology shows up in scripture. What is it? <laughs> so I was just, I was curious since we have a Bible scholar here, if there was maybe any sort of linguistic tie-in to the phrase mm. loved him as he loved himself. That's a good question. Nobody mentioned it in anything that I read. Um, but it is interesting that that's placed on Jonathan mm. and not oh, David, yeah. right? Like mm, that Jonathan's a, the God character if, if there is a Yeah, like especially the way that we like to draw the corollary that it's um, mm, that Jonathan mm-hmm. loved him as he loved his own life, which is like, yeah, I don't know. Good catch. Yeah. That is interesting phrasing. I'll be thinking about that. So the kiss. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if mine's what verse does. I don't know if my translation says that. Uh, They Uh, kissed each other. Verse 41. It's the last part of verse 41. Oh, mine does. My translation does not say that. Ooh, what does it say? As soon as the boy was gone, David came out from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. Oh, so they went with embraced instead of kissed. That's fascinating. Mm. Which uh, translation are you using? Um, New Living translation. Interesting. Hmm. They took out all mention of kissing. But I guess it's probably the same, right? Like, it's that affection. It's that, like, Yeah, uh, I mean, I think it's still within the spirit of it for most of, um, unless you're doing a queer reading of it, right? In Mm -hmm. which case, the kissing may be more important. Mm -hmm. Um, It was a sad goodbye, regardless of. Yeah, I mean, what do you do when you know you're saying goodbye to your best friend forever, probably? And like you're hoping your dad your doesn't kill him. <laughs> right, because you yeah, know if he stays, he'll be point. murdered. I mean, it feels like a very dramatic movie. This scene has happened, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. we watch it happen. And I think, too, I'm sure that, there's a Star Wars to reference, isn't there? <laughs> well, a, a 100%, yeah, this is... <laughs> Yeah, this is like uh, Anakin realizing that his relationship with Obi-Wan Kenobi is no longer, well, mm. I, I guess he doesn't have to kill Jonathan, so it's <laughs> not quite the same. I but. was thinking of Han Solo and Princess Leia when he gets put into that cryogen and she's like, oh. I love you. And he's like, I know. I know. <laughs> and then Chewbacca's <Iconic>. like, <laughs> yeah. no, that's a really good analogy. I do think it's Boom. interesting, like, it's easy to forget that last time that we were talking in chapter 19, David's just been let down from the wall and is fleeing with Michael's help and then mm-hmm. goes to Naoth at Ramah. And then we're going into this story. So it's one continuous fleeing mm-hmm. from the king's wrath. Mm-hmm. 
And so this is all happening. Like there's just so much pressure and, and so much stress and high emotion. And I mean, it is, it's not the, the situation, at least in, in the, between the two chapters that David is being almost killed and then staying with the King and then almost killed and, and staying with the king. I mean, this is, he knows what's up and, and the King is after him legitimately. And so, yeah, it is that does make the the goodbye all the more significant because this is the end of their their journey together. Yeah, I think too. A lot of the stuff I was reading was um, sort of kept talking about obviously Jonathan making a covenant with the descendants of David, and David is sort of also an acknowledgement of David that is obviously going to be the king. Like even Jonathan is realizing that. And, and it's also striking because like we were talking about before, you know, you kill threats to the throne, to your dynasty. And so in that way, Jonathan could be an obstacle for David. And yet this peace between them, this friendship keeps that like mm-hmm. off the table. And so there's like a, they're both being saved by this. It's not just a one way, you know, mm-hmm. there's an acknowledgement of what's happening and what's next. Um, but it's going to be a, but that both are, they're protect their mute. There's like a mutual protection between them, which I thought was really sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a great observation. Kate. I just, I feel like, like, what does it feel like to be Jonathan in this situation? Mm. You know, to be caught between the throne and your loyalty to your father. And then at the same time, like what you know to be right. And he knows in his heart that David's going to be the next king or the rightful king. Yeah. I think just probably a lot of grief, right? Like to have this moment with your father where you recognize, like, okay, my dad is not who I thought he was and he almost tried to kill me and Mm. my best friend is leaving. Mm. Well, and you don't know exactly how David is going to ascend to the throne. And so you don't know if that is going to mean the Mm. loss of your father. You don't know if that's going to mean the loss of your own life. Maybe not by David's hand, but you know, there are weird things that happen like in battle and war and fights. There's, you you can't control that. And so I think too, there's, sort of there's probably a bit of an anxiety for oneself and one's family because uncertainty these sort of yeah these tensions these situations and the nature of the violent nature of them in a lot of cases you know does mean a potential for harm even if it doesn't come from david himself you know mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah okay anything else or about saul how are we feeling um, about Saul? You know, growing up, I don't. I want to be real careful about how much I go into. I there was there was an extent to which I could um, recognize what it looked like to live in sort of like Jonathan or David's position under the what feels like bipolar, maybe not clinically, actually bipolar, but just, you know, like extremes 
of like not knowing where you stand with the authority, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, you know, mm-hmm. are you loved today or are you hated today? Um, and I don't know. I, I just, I feel the need to, to speak to that because I, I feel like there's people out there that maybe can appreciate that living in that tension and just say that like God sees that. Um, and maybe that's sort of like what we're seeing in, in what Jonathan is doing and sort of blessing David and saying like, I know your character. I know what you're about. I know who you are. And I also, you know, didn't want to admit this about my father, like you were saying earlier, Amanda, but now I'm confronted with that Mm -hmm. and living in between the tension of those two things. I know overall that somehow or another that God is going to make use of this and protect and, and hold tight those that I love. Um, and so I just, uh, I just, I just want to just, I don't know, acknowledge that. Cause I, I, that's, that's something that I, I'd always previously kind of gathered from this story is more than anything else, just the, the difficulty of that position. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's tough. Okay. Well, to switch gears a little. David's still on the run. <laughs> David heads to Knob. Man on the run. <laughs> uh, all right, Amanda, what happens in 21? So David is on his way to Knob. He's going to go wait, see wait, the- wait, wait, wait. What's the name of the city, Amanda? Knob? Okay, no, never mind. Oh. Okay, we're good. <laughs> Bob, um, to see Ahimelech, the priest, um, and Ahimelech is a little bit worried because David's showing up alone. He must know who David is. Um, David gives the story. His cover is that the king sent me on a private mission. Um, and by the way, do you have any food? And the priest is like, no, we're fresh out of food, but we have this. Uh, this bread that was just in the worship area, you could probably have that. So he gives him the bread that has been um, consecrated. I'm not sure. Yeah. The holy the holy bread. Um, and then David's like, oh, you know what? I left so urgently on this mission from the king that I forgot my sword or spear. Do you guys have any weapons here? Um, and the <laughs> priest is like, well, actually... We have Goliath's sword here. We do happen <laughs> are to you have this fr- one thing. <laughs> are you familiar with this story? Um, <laughs> so then he um, leaves that place with Goliath's sword. He goes to the king of Gath, and the king of Gath is like, wait a minute, I know who this is. Isn't this Saul's right-hand man? Um, and he heard these comments, um, and David became a little bit worried that... <laughs> This was maybe a bad idea. And so he decides to act um, like he might have a severe, a severe um, mental ailment. Hmm. And he starts um, scratching on doors, drooling. And the king of Gath is like, what is going on here? Why is this man here? And that's where we leave it. Yeah. Hmm. 
Okay, so <laughs> David walks into, I guess, a temple a or a synagogue. Yeah, into Nob, which apparently <laughs> walks into Nob. Every time I hear the word Nob, do y'all watch? Have y'all watched the movie Love Actually? Yes. Years. Okay. And uh, so, like the British guy who like comes over to America, and he's like. And he goes, and he's got a big knob. And like, <laughs> it's a different kind of knob here. But um, <laughs> presumably, this is a city. Yeah. yeah, this is a city. It's okay. It's just like NOV knob, you know? Um, and so, but that's like the tone of voice I hear whenever I hear knob. Um, anyway, that has nothing to do with anything. That's just a little insight into my brain. <laughs> With me, I'm I the bad also, guy. Though. Me, it's yeah, me. Yeah. <laughs> me and my Star Wars references. <laughs> There's also this part that I forgot to mention. I forgot about it until just now. When he goes, the priest is like, okay, there's no regular bread, but you can have this holy bread, I guess, as long as your young men haven't slept with any women recently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which I found super interesting in light of a conversation I had over the weekend with someone oh, do who tell. at a seminary and asked her seminary professor, are there any instances where male virginity is talked about in the Bible? Hmm. And he was basically like, you got me. There isn't. <laughs> and so I found yeah. this interesting, right? As we talk about this kind of idea of sexual ethic, that clearly yeah. this was a behavior known enough that the priest was like, well, if you're going to have this holy bread, I better check on this one thing. Yeah. That's yeah. A good it's a ritual purity thing, but I do think you're right in that it is interesting framing that, you know, women sort of have to be untouched and virgins, but these men who may or may not have been married, we don't know. I mean, at this point, David has a wife, so it, you know, mm. um, we don't know what that's like, but there isn't necessarily that expectation. And that's probably because, you know, marriage was basically a property transaction in a lot of ways, except in the case of Michael, Michael's le Michael loved David. Mm -hmm. We know that, but that, you know, virginity then has something to do with the quality, right. Of mm -hmm. what you're, what you're getting in marriage. Mm -hmm. And so on the, uh, well, yeah, from a man's perspective, I suppose, in that time. So I think there, but it is interesting that there are no examples. I was wondering, too, if in chapter 20, when Saul is assuming that David's going because he's somehow unclean, if maybe that had to do with sexuality. If, in other words, like if there's, if there was supposed to be abstinence prior to this feast or like what the, the connection there is, mm. because you're right. Like it does seem that in 21, that Ahimelech just kind of assumes like these are, these are soldiers, they're rough men. And we just assume <laughs> that, you know, it's just part of the culture. It's okay that they just, they don't they've have been any, with ladies. they've been with ladies. And I love, <laughs> I love how David's response is like, the women have been kept from us. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Unfortunately, that does become a problem. Um, yeah, it's yeah, because apparently there would probably be an instance too of like before battle or during battle 
there's sort of an expectation of purity as well, which comes up mm-hmm. like when when Uriah right comes back from which is like in Second Samuel. So we're like way uh, far away. But this is the Bathsheba thing, right? That's part of why he won't sleep with his wife is because like mm-hmm. if he's going back to the front, there's a purity thing. And he doesn't need to redo all of that. He's like in solidarity with his people. Interesting. Um, oh, I, Kate, I wonder if you have any information on the New Moon Festival. Like it. Yeah, there didn't seem to be a lot of specifics, but that New Moon Festivals happened, and they were—I mean, they were regular, not just in Jewish culture, but others. Um, a time of rejoicing, sacrifices, trumpets, feasts. Um, let me see what other notes I took. And it seemed to be like this was kind of an annual thing. So it sort of served as like a family reunion moment Mm. for a lot of Mm. people. So that's generally what we, what I picked up from the stuff that I read. So it's pretty common. There are liturgy for it in Jewish writing somewhere. Um, so it's not like something super unusual, but it doesn't happen all the time. But it's sort so, of like a happy feasty time. It's Thanksgiving. So, yeah, exactly. I thought that that was interesting that the, that the new moon was what prompted the feast. So a couple of things um, I did look up. So like the the new moon cycle is like where the moon is like pretty much black. Uh-huh. And uh, according to National Geographic, that happens about in a 29 and a half day cycle. So about once a month. And that's something that we have no, like, I mean, in the West, we don't celebrate phases of the moon with festivals or like with feasts hmm. or anything like that. And so I wonder if that's a product of agricultural society. Like you've been working for, you know, a whole month and, you know, this, Maybe there's yeah, a connection maybe. to like the harvest is happening around the same time or something like that. And so you celebrate, but I, I just think it's interesting that maybe in a more agrarian society, like you, you would expect to celebrate that, but like, wh- why did we lose that? Like that, that just sounds like a good time. Like, why wouldn't you yeah. celebrate? We sort of just have like our dates on the calendar and there's like days that we have stuff and days that we don't, I think, yeah, there's, a sense in which our, at least my, you know, sense of time isn't necessarily tied to any particular phase of the earth other than, I mean, even in Texas, we barely get seasons. So you don't even really like tell mm-hmm. one shift to another. But yeah, maybe in an ancient agrarian society, you're definitely much more connected to those cycles. Yeah. So that would make sense to me. Oh, it looks like some Jewish people may still celebrate this. Oh, sweet. Yeah, well, if you're Jewish Chodesh? and you have a feast yeah, keep, on the, on the new moon, holler at me. <laughs> you said Rosh Hodesh. So yeah. that's like, that means like top of the month. Yeah, it looks like, well, so it looks like as it kind of has evolved later because of the synergy between lunar and feminine cycles, it became a special Mm -hmm. holiday for women, a day off from work, a time to gather, pray and learn. And then today in some circles, 
Um, it's an occasion for women of all ages to come together in creative celebration. Nice. It's a ladies' holiday. It's a ladies' <laughs> holiday. That's right. Step aside, boys. It's our turn to celebrate. <laughs> Gosh, like we just don't have a place anymore in society. You're so persecuted. I know. know. So one thing I found interesting in what I was reading about Nob is that it's in the territory of Benjamin from which Saul comes. And so in a way, David is is like literally going into Saul's like home turf to this you know, holy place, which I thought was really, I was like, that's a bold move, man. He'll never look for me here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, probably not. So that is kind of smart, but I thought that was really weird. Um, What'd y'all think about how Ahimelech is like, why are you here alone? (laughs) (laughs) Like, was he afraid? Because like in that, Maybe like David's acting as a messenger and or come to kill him. Or, yeah, I guess if David is known as this warrior and this fighter and maybe there is no known threat to the area, it could be that sense of like, um, do I need to be worried about something? Yeah. Are there Philistines nearby? Yeah. I mean, I do. I think that's probably part of it is that... um, David is a well-known figure. He's not a secret person at this point. He's like got, you know, a prominent place in the army. So him showing up at your door would usually, and and saying that you're on business with the king, like Hmm. that sounds like it's bad news for you. So I can kind of see being a little nervous about that. Um, Yeah, I'm not sure that we know exactly. How does Ahimelech know him? Has he seen him before? Did David introduce himself? Did David's picture get around the territory? (laughs) Is it like, yeah, like a a drawing? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, everybody knows the song though, right? Because like in the next chapter, we like... It's true because even in, you know, the Philistine territory, people know. Like that's my jam. But how do they know that this is David? (laughs) Is he like, Mm. I'm the guy from the song? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's ready <laughs> he's ready and handsome <laughs> this must be well Andy shows I think he, this is the other like bizarre part of this is that he shows up with Goliath's sword and sort of like expects I think to like get a welcome from like <laughs> the Philistine people and it's like oh <laughs> Yeah. I'm not sure. Later on in the chapter, sure. yes, yeah. Like <laughs> I I'm remember not sure this. that's what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, and so it's very like. Like something I was reading was like, he probably expected, you know, solidarity or to like, hey, at least I can be like a mercenary for you or something. But when he gets this response of, oh, is this David? Isn't he a bad guy to us? Like, <laughs> they're like, oh, maybe that wasn't my best plan. And so I will pretend to be a crazy person. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Yeah. Yes. This. This is sneaking into the next chapter a little bit, but like as a guy and as a like fantasy sci-fi nerd, like where like the, the trope is always that like the power of the, the hero is tied to the special weapon, right? Like Thor Mm -hmm. has his hammer and like all that stuff. Like I, I want to know what happened to Goliath's sword because we don't hear anything else about Goliath's sword. I don't think after this. 
So like, did they, did they take Goliath's sword? Like where, where's like this symbol of, I mean, David's like, there's no other sword like it. This is, this is uh Excalibur, right? So. Right. It feels like a very King Arthur moment. Right. So like what happened? I also, somebody else mentioned, okay. So in the new interpreter study Bible, they mentioned that we know that Saul is the tall, is like the tallest man, right? Because like when he gets selected as king he's like head and shoulders above everyone and so they were like david flees from the tallest man in israel with the sword of like an even taller man so i was Hmm. like that's that's weird like it'd be a weird like florida man headline i feel like but there's like a sense in which (laughs) short man flees tall man with tall man's sword you know like what is happening and i was like oh that is some interesting irony in the sense like not only is it sort of the weapon with which you know, of a vanquished enemy of David, but that it is also not just well known and recognized, but that it is very obviously something that could be wielded against a Saul in that case. Yeah, it almost feels kind of like you can't escape your destiny sort of a thing. Like, Yeah, here he is face to face with this sword in an unexpected way. Right, like he he just got done fleeing from the most powerful person in the kingdom, who is also the largest person in the kingdom, and he's trying to shrink away, which is strategically the wise thing to do. But yet he has not lost his anointing or his significance or his power, and that's symbolized by the fact that he's got the sword of the the giant that he slayed that he's carrying around with him, even in this retreating posture like the 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 weapon this the symbolic you know thing that says you are thor son of odin or whatever have you like it's like he's taking it with him you know like it's it's, his authority is going with him what do you think about the idea that the sword is in this place at all like yeah this is very obviously like a a, you know, holy place where they have like the bread of the presence. Maybe it's like tabernacle right? And so, I mean, and it's not like they have it enshrined like in victory. They're like, oh yeah, it's just like wrapped in cloth behind that thing, you know, <laughs> like it's sort of hidden away. Um, And in some ways, maybe that's better because it's not glorified. It just happens to be there. But I just sort of was like, huh, it's interesting. You know, is it sort of like we have relics and stuff in yeah. old churches. Is it, I wonder if it had some of that uh, power in their minds, you know, of like, this is a big moment for us. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I did think about relics in the, in the Catholic church. And mm-hmm. I, I actually took it as because it was behind the ephod that it was kind of being given a place of honor of some sort. Oh yeah. Maybe um, that's fair. And it is at this, I don't know how many other temples were in the city, but like you said, it is in the city that Saul came from. And so it's kind of like, this is, this is sort of like the capital, you know, like it's, it's symbolizing this victory that propels Saul and David into their position of notoriety. Would would there be more than one temple in like a, 
so this is like the capital of the Benjamin territory. Would there be more than one temple? Well, we don't have a temple yet, oh, right? Sorry. Officially, more than one temples mm-hmm. are built worship. with Solomon, <laughs> mm-hmm. but. Potentially, I mean, it does seem to imply that there are maybe the ark isn't there or the ark is missing. I don't remember where the ark is now, but so the ark is in a place, but this does seem to imply that there are maybe tabernacles or like mini tabernacles in different places because we know that's not where Samuel is. Samuel is where David came from trying before to he met with Jonathan the yeah. second time. And so, yeah, Samuel's like, just leave me alone, guys. <laughs> leave me out of it. I did my part. And so, yeah, there is sort of, it does sort of seem like there are multiple holy places, whatever that means or looks like. I'm not sure. Mm. Speaking of holy places, what do you think of David's comment, the men's bodies are holy even if the missions that they're on are not holy. Mm. I mean, at minimum, I don't know. Like it, it makes me think of um, almost like Christian nationalist sentiment. Like, you know, God bless our troops. America can do no wrong kind of a thing. Maybe. I mean, I just tend to think, well, first of all, my translation, what does it say? Indeed, women have been kept from us as always when I go on an expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy, even when it is a common journey. How much more today will will their vessels be holy? Is what mine says. Mine says, I never allow my men to be with women when they are on a campaign. And since they stay clean on even on ordinary trips, how much more on this one? Hmm. Hmm. So it's more about being set apart. Yeah, it's about the ritual purity of it. From what I gather, though, I would not consider battle holy, but I know that that is sort of hard frame to approach this portion of scripture. Now just wait a minute. Personally. <laughs> um New York City. <laughs> oh, that's a whoa. Lots of memories. Nobody listening memory. to this even knows that. That's a Guys, are you cut. familiar with pace? Uh, <laughs> wait, I'm kind of surprised that Amanda even knows it because um I guess I sort of figured it was kind of like a a t- extra Texas pull because it talks about it being from San Antonio and like mm. that's oh, sort no, of a we thing got that, that commercial in Michigan. Hey, okay, noted. I did wow. look at <laughs> yeah. there. Everyone it's hates New York City. That's true. New York City. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what do we think of David's uh ploy in yeah, in Gath? Like he arrives, they <laughs> I, I thought it was though. interesting that they're like, is so in mine it says, is this not David the king of the land? Like they too. they think he because of the song that you know Saul has killed his thousands, David his ten thousands, they sort of assume that David's already in charge. And mm. like you said, is there a poster somewhere? They seem to know that this is him. Mm. Yeah. And right, like not too long ago we get this story about him 
at least severely maiming so many Philistines. And he's like, you know what? You know where a safe place would be to go into She Philistine. definitely avoided the word Philist- uh, foreskin there. <laughs> Maybe them. Maybe they're dead. I don't know. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Was this like his only hope? Yeah. <laughs> Right, like I guess he, I guess maybe he's noted because he has been there and he has clearly mutilated some people, (laughs) and so people are aware of what he looks like. I think a, it's very weird for David to assume that he would get some sort of warm welcome here. (laughs) I literally cannot imagine a circumstance in which they'd be like, "Oh yeah, this guy. At least he's switching sides. Like they could never trust you. What's that about?" And then you know he reverts to pretending to be a madman which i thought was it uh uh uh, yeah an interesting (laughs) way to go like don't run away wait to pretend to be (sighs) insane and let them throw you out like that is a that's a risky that's risky risky business yeah (laughs) like surely they will because they could just kill you (laughs) and but I guess he was banking on if he's mad, they won't take him seriously and they'll just like let him go away and into obscurity, which I'm sure they regret eventually. But it was just very weird. It, yeah. and almost like, what's the point? Because you're right. Like I, when I was reading this, I interpreted him fleeing to a sheesh king of Gath as just being the territory. But I mean, it seems like he went directly to the king. And so then he goes and like, to what end he pretends to be insane. So like, was it just like, he's preemptively, you know, I, I don't want to get caught in your territory and be brought to you. I want to have like the blessing of having come to you and being found not a threat. <laughs> mm, I mean, maybe, maybe that way they don't worry about him anymore in a way. I don't know. It's just a very yeah, odd choice. It's not. I mean, it's not what I would have chosen. Um, yeah, my study, the study Bible says um, David then protected himself by acting insane because it was the custom not to harm mentally unstable people. Hmm. But I, I don't know. I mean, well, and mine also something I read also said that. Um, that madness might also have been a sign of divine affliction. So there is a sense oh. in which, like, if this person is cursed by a god, you don't want them around anyway, mm-hmm. because that's I feel like that would make bad news sense. for you. Like maybe he's uh being plagued by demons or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that he's not taken seriously. So even if he is, you know, the slayer of Goliath and the stealer of foreskins, that it doesn't matter. (laughs) Like, you can't take him seriously. And, you know, and maybe because of some of that, like, he's being punished. And so you don't want him near you because you don't want to be in the wake of whatever's happening. And so he gets up with his life, um, you know, for whatever reason, because he's... He's, yeah, dared to go where no other man would go. (laughs) It all ties in together. (laughs) Look at it. 
Did Look you, at us. Uh, <laughs> did y'all catch the, the five lows Easter egg? I don't know what that is. I don't, I don't think so. Okay. So maybe it's just me. Um, when the priest gives the, the consecrated bread to David, so he, he asks for five loaves. Oh, nice. Yeah. Well, and you know, this is an example. Jesus pulls up in the gospels when the disciples are like eating on the Sabbath, mm-hmm. like stuff that they picked. And he's like, didn't even David get to do this? So um, so it is a precedent. It becomes a precedent, at least for Jesus, in breaking ritual law in a time of need. Um, so, yeah, it's an Easter egg in more than one way. Yeah. See, Teenage Robert deliberate. Teenage Robert would have gone on a long, like, month-long rabbit trail with, like, Kenneth Hagee in the background, like, numerology, trying to figure, like, you know, five being the number of man. And so, like, the bread was five and it was baked on the fifth day and, like, the symbolism of, I don't know. but Yeah. Also, there's there's a foreshadowing line in here, kind of a throwaway line that I didn't even catch until I (laughs) glanced at what our next two chapters are. That oh, Saul's yeah. uh, chief herdsman was there that day when David came because he was at the temple or wherever this was, was there that day mm-hmm. for ceremony, ceremonial purification. And this character will come in later mm. and not in a yeah. great way. <laughs> they mentioned a couple of things, a lot of the stuff like that guy, and it may not have actually been a shepherd. It could have been um, like a foreman, like a guard, one of Saul's guards. And yeah, and apparently Goliath's sword will come back too. So dun, dun, dun. <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> These two things are coming up, and that's sort of why they're loosely mentioned because they're about to be important, apparently. Gotcha. So yeah, next time. I like come back how, for all these guys. I like how in the NIV it says that he was detained before the Lord. Oh yeah. Detained. I'm gonna call him it's D-O-E-G. I'm gonna call yeah. him Doug. Doug. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Doig, Doge, Dogecoin. Yeah, I like Doug. That's easy enough. What do we know I about hope that? Doug isn't insulted by that. <laughs> it's just a, another day, is. another Doug. What, what do we know about Edomites? Like, I, I feel like were they? Um, yeah. Did we? Did we learn something about them earlier? Like, were they? Um, we know they're foreign. To- Okay. Um, and so that's part of why he had to come early is because he then has like extra ritual purification to do because he's foreign to participate. Um, and it does show that there were foreigners in, uh, service of Kings, et cetera, because, they're like cousins to the Israelites because this says they are descendants of Esau. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Edom. Yeah. Um, so they're not like the chosen line, right? But they are not far off. So they're kind of just around. <laughs> but technically Esau is a descendant of Abraham. It's true. But they branched out. 
Yeah. I mean, because it comes through Jacob. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sorry, Esau. Sorry, Edomites. Sorry, Sorry Doug. <laughs> he gave away his birthright. It was his fault. You know, he did it to himself. So all because he was hungry. Yeah. Maybe the bro Doug was hangry and <laughs> I know Doug could have been David and here we are. Doug could have been David and I bet he <laughs> is very mad away. about it. <laughs> yeah. That's what we're anyway. Uh, one small, it's like a butterfly, right? Butterfly effect. <laughs> if only Esau had eaten before you went hunting, you wouldn't have been so hungry. Oh, gosh. You know? I, thought gonna, I thought you were going to say, if only you saw him oh, no. eating Jacob in the womb. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Whoa. All the way back. They were getting dark. Maybe so happy. That would be extra dark. I, yeah, I'm not, I wasn't going there, but um, now I can't not think about that for the rest of the night. Their alternative timeline. <laughs> the darkest timeline. <laughs> The dark for sure. <laughs> oh gosh. Um yeah. All right. Takeaways. What are we taking away? Robert, what you got? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I or what's sort of lingering for you? It doesn't have to be yeah. like a must do, but what's sort of in your brain the most? Right. So I I do. I I am sort of like circling back because it is so hard for me to kind of divorce from my mind the the context that I was talking about earlier when we're looking at chapter 20 and the family dynamics and how Saul would blow up and David would be attacked and then Saul would be okay and then Saul would blow up again. And there's just kind of like this, you know, like where, like where, where's the solid ground in all of this. And then the, the fact that like Jonathan doesn't seem to know that about his father either just mm. feels weird. And Michael seems to know enough about her father to know that he really would kill David. And so she's protective so like there's, there's just this yeah. strange family dynamic in, going on in the background yeah. and david's kind of caught in the middle of all this mm-hmm. and um so i just i do um i don't have like a really succinct wise word so so much as just i appreciate in seeing the store in the story the way that even though david was in this really tentative dangerous position that he found favor among the people that he was with and that that community rallies around him essentially to protect him and just God's faithfulness in, even in the midst of those dynamics, which is basically, I mean, these are family dynamics for David too, because Saul becomes his father-in-law. So, you know, even in the midst of those family dynamics that the Lord was providing for him. And so I just think that's really beautiful and I, I can appreciate that in the story. Mm. yeah amanda how about you yeah i think i'm kind of just lingering on i think chapter 20 is just as much about jonathan as it is about david and yeah i don't know just i feel like the 30s for me this decade has been like wrestling with that kind of acknowledgement of like the strengths and the challenge areas of my parents. And 
sitting with clients that are kind of doing the same thing or coming to that realization of like, oh, this is not the parent that I needed. Mm-hmm. And what do I like, what do I do with that? What does that mean for my story? And so I think I'm feeling, yeah, just a lot of empathy for Jonathan in the midst of this of, gosh, my family turned out so much different than I could have expected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting because it's one of those aspects that we don't um, talk about or that we gloss over, right? This sort of like the dynamics, Um, like obviously Saul is not in his right mind, but we, we talk about how that affects David. We don't talk about how that affects the other people around Saul. Um, I mean, in the same way that like, you know, if we're going back to Jacob and Esau, the way the favoritism of the mom, right, affected literal lines uh, in lineage and dynasties down the line, like the entire track of Israel mm-hmm. is forged in in family dynamics like that. So part of me is like grateful that they're represented um, so that we can see some of that connection and even how some of that like ends up not for good, but for like ultimate good benefit. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't want to like minimize like the challenge and the, and the experience of that. Um, but yeah, that there is, there's, it's not new. It's all been here the whole time. And that even there is kind of that wildness and family dynamics, even in a time that was so different than ours. Mm-hmm. It's, um, we have always been this way, you guys. <laughs> this is humanity. Human and there nature. is both like comfort and madness in that, yeah. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I mean, I think I'm just kind of one, like, I wish I had like the uh, confidence of David to just like be walking up and everywhere and like demanding your thing. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> Give me that bread. Um, yeah. Give me your bread here. I'm going to take this sword. Hey, I know I killed your dude, but don't you want to hang out with me? Just kidding. I'm mad. I'm going to run away now. You know what I mean? Like, what he, a bold man. <laughs> he is like the definition of main character energy, right? Like <laughs> he just has that. Um, and yeah, I just don't. And I think that's so interesting. Um, but I do, I continually get drawn back to the relationship between Jonathan and David. And I think that um, though we see very little of it in the Bible, I think there is something really cool and special. Like there's that meme that goes around that's like, you know, the real miracle of Jesus's life is that he had 12 <laughs> close friends in his 30s. You know what I mean? There is a sense in which um, <laughs> as we get older and as our lives get more complicated and, and even as we're understanding the complexity of our own upbringings and family dynamics, like we were talking about before, that connecting with people it's hard whether that's finding new people or even connecting deeply because of our own wounds and worries. And so I think there is this like, though it is a parting and it's really sad and sweet. There is a sense of, um, yeah, I wish we put more attention on relationships like that because there is a sense. I think that we lose 
when we focus on, and I think it means something, right? That like David didn't go back to his wife. He went back to his friend and that's mm-hmm. not to say. So there is sort of this like message of the centricity, right? That we've made of like marriage um, in our lives. And I love being married. I love my husband. Not to say any of that. Like we're fine guys. We're doing great. You don't have to worry. But um, there I'd is- rather be spending time with my friend. <laughs> But I think we lose something when we try to pin all of that on one person or we try to, and we don't build it out in community. I think especially in the West, we're very like, but we are like, we are our own little unit, like the two of us. And then if we had children, we would be a unit when really we need like the dynamic of an extended family, Mm -hmm. whether that is our family or the family that we build with our church, with our friends. And so I like that there's like this little snapshot of the way that David, who is not a part of their family and is even considered their family's enemy and is in it by marriage, but like just barely, right? Like just recently, just barely um, is enveloped in this and protected and cared for and loved to the point that they weep whenever they have to part and it means so much they even pledge to each other to protect one another and their descendants and so there's like this um depth and complexity of relationship that we just kind of skip over because it's not as interesting or it doesn't um fit a lot of the narratives that we sort of have in our lives but um yeah i really just I wish we talk about the importance of friendship more and, mm. and that this is such a interesting example mm-hmm. in the Bible, especially between men. Cause I feel like there's a lot of sense of like sisters are together and like women, you know, like Mary and Elizabeth meet and they like rejoice. And there's like a lot of like that sort of solidarity, but you don't see a lot of this closeness that isn't competitive. Mm-hmm. Like it is like, with the disciples, right. When mm-hmm. they get really competitive but between men, this feels like a really unique friendship mm-hmm. in the Bible. Yeah. And so, yeah, sure. I wish we talked about that more. For sure. Yeah. I love that. All right. Well, well Kate, um, before we go, I have to ask you, um, you've written a book lately. And I saw that you were on. <laughs> Lately is generous, but yes. <laughs> Within this year. It yes. feels like a long time ago now. But this time an, last year, I was writing it. An untidy faith journeying back to the joy of following Jesus. And of course, we don't recommend that anyone listens to other podcasts, but I saw that you recorded a podcast episode with someone else recently. Uh, you want to tell us about that? Oh, which one? I've done a lot, actually. Gosh, where to start? So I, mm, which one are you talking about? Maybe we'll start there. <laughs> I, th- I think Trey it was Roberts. Roberts. I think it was Roberts. Yeah. Trey oh, Roberts. okay. Yeah. I was on Three Black Men, which was like crazy that they invited this weird white lady on there, but they did. It was very nice of them. Um <laughs> It was very nice of them. I've had a lot of good conversations. I'll actually be linking them up in my newsletter soon. Well, it may have already occurred by the time this is out, but there's a page on my website. If you go to kateboy.co slash featured, I think I try to put all of my interviews up. And so I'm probably adding like three or four that have gone up in the last like couple of weeks. 
like I did one about Barbie, which was really fun. Oh, no spoilers. And yeah. And then a couple about one about the book with Alexis Busetti. We talked a lot about some of the big scriptural things that I talk about in the book, like the kingdom of God and how we view the Bible. I was interviewed by Kristen Young on their podcast, Becoming Church. And we talked about sort of like deconstruction and disentangling and when things are feeling very like weird in your faith and what to do about it. Yeah. And then I was on one where we talked about sort of church and and a, a vision for women in the church, but also for a lot of people with um, John Pyle and Sharifa Stevens. I was with them in a mm. conversation about, I think his podcast is called Beyond Sunday or Better on the Inside. It's one of those two, maybe both. I don't know. <laughs> one, is, one is a newsletter, I think. One's a podcast. I'm not sure. Check them both. But they're both, it's, it was really fun. I really loved that conversation. Anytime I get to talk with Sharifa, I'm like obsessed. Yeah. Um, I'm like a secret stalker of hers. <laughs> and um, it's weird because we live not that, like not crazy far away from each other, but we have not really met in person, at least not since pandemic or like since we've been aware of each other, we have mm-hmm. bumped into each other. But anyway, I'm low key obsessed with her. She <laughs> should know that. I I will always be angling for us to be best friends. Sharifa, come see me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll come to you wherever you need. <laughs> That's awesome. So yeah, lots of really great conversations and they'll be linked up on my website. So you guys can go if you want to listen to any of them. They all sort of take different shapes, which is really fun. So even though we're all sort of talking about what it means to have an untidy faith and all that stuff, they all sound different. That's awesome. And yeah, how's when's your your book is what? Yeah, Robert. What's happening? It's uh I got manuscript deadline coming up September the 1st, so it'll wow, be real close. real close to when this airs. But I feel really good about it. I'm just in sort of editing mode right now. It's about 99% written. And it's just, uh, it's, I don't know, it's just wild to think that <laughs> that someone actually cares about my words. And so I'll be really Ooh, interested. Like, when I know, the, isn't that weird? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like it's it, the roller coaster of like, oh yeah, I'm like, this is good. No, and then like the next day it's like, no, no one's going to want to hear this. No one's going to want to read this. So I'll, I'll be happy to submit that to the publisher and kind of overcome that imposter syndrome that that one layer of imposter yeah. syndrome don't worry it's gonna keep coming up awesome. you don't have to leave it behind it'll awesome. be with you forever you're welcome <laughs> so yeah but having fun it's a it's a good it's a good writing process i'm enjoying it i'm also enjoying the slow death spiral of twitter and who oh, knows whether or not that still exists yeah yeah, yeah. sorry my, it's my changed ex, names at this point our my bad social media yeah so we'll see yeah. if that still exists by the time this airs. <laughs> Amanda, do you have workshops? Are you doing, what are you up to this fall with all of your stuff? Yeah, I have a group, a group cohort starting in September. So it may have already started by the time that this airs, but um, there will probably be one in the spring. So if you are interested in, yeah, talking about deconstruction, talking about reconstruction, just faith shifts in a group of people um, with a little bit of guidance. You can find me at heyamandawaldron.com on the internet or just Mm -hmm. heyamandawaldron on Instagram. Nice. All right. Thank you, guys. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.
Thank you so much for joining our discussion today. I hope that you got as much out of it as we always do from these conversations. If you enjoyed it, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player to help more people find the show and learn along with us. And don't forget to find and follow us on social media. All our links are in the show notes and I can't wait until we see you next time. Bye-bye.